When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, Episode 72, Making Peace with Food and Yourself Through Intuitive Eating. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. This is an episode that's been on my mind and heart for over a year, really since the podcast started. And I've hesitated to record it for so many reasons, most of which go back to perfectionism, which is a battle that I've fought my entire life. (laughs) But when a topic matters this much to you, You want the delivery of it to be just perfect, and you want to explain it so well that everyone listening will just get it, and in 30 short minutes, their lives will be changed just like your life was changed. But that is totally unreasonable, because no topic, no matter how good or important it is, is going to change someone's life in 30 minutes. All it can do is stir their heart a little, maybe tug at them to find out more and to dive in deeper on their own and see where it takes them. And I know this better than anyone, because when I first heard the words intuitive eating, I was on a jog with a new friend who randomly opened up to me about her history with eating disorders, and she mentioned this philosophy of listening to and caring for your body. And something in my heart that day on the running trail said, I think this is good. I think this is truth. But it took a lot more than just that one conversation for me to find freedom from the toxic and hateful patterns of viewing myself and my body that I was trapped in. It took me nine months of counseling with a therapist who specialized in intuitive eating, and it continues to take work and commitment as I attempt very imperfectly to tune into my body and listen. And that actually leads me to my next point about why this episode was hard for me to record. Not only did I want to know how to present intuitive eating perfectly before I recorded this, I also wanted to live intuitive eating perfectly before I recorded this, so I could really feel like I was an authentic and worthy ambassador of it. I wanted to be able to tell you that I consistently make truly mindful and intuitive decisions with food that bless my physical body every day, but I don't, not even close. Learning to listen to my body has been a journey of over six years, and my commitment to intuitive eating has been especially challenged and battered the past few years as I've been diagnosed with a health condition that has rocked my world at times. And I'm going to tell you more about my health in future episodes, but it's just too much to get into today for this episode. So I can't tell you that I live intuitive eating perfectly and it's solved all of my health problems and I always have a blissfully connected and positive relationship with food and my body. But what I can tell you and what I want more than anything to communicate through this episode is that intuitive eating brought light and hope back into my life when I was truly trapped 
by self-contempt and paralyzed by perfectionism. It set me free. It helped me to see that my body could be trusted and respected, that it was not the enemy, that I was not the enemy. And there's so much more I could say on this topic and that I will say in future episodes and including a bonus episode that I plan to air on Thursday. But for today, please just accept this imperfect episode as a piece of my heart that I was lucky enough to record with one of my best friends in the world who supported me through this journey and continues to support me as I find my way. Wherever you are in your own story, this is part of mine that I'm honored to share, and I can't thank you enough for listening. I'm so excited to be here today with one of my dearest friends and mom mentors, Taryn Palmer. She's a mom of four. She's one of my in real life best friends, and she's also a registered dietitian and nutritionist. And she is going to teach us a little bit more about something that's changed my life, and that is intuitive eating. So Taryn, welcome to 3 and 30. Hi, Rachel. I'm super excited to be here. Well, I'm so excited to have you. Taryn is one of the very first people that I ever murmured, <laughs> sort of awkwardly mentioned my desire to start a podcast because at that point I was still like so scared and thought people would think it was stupid. And I remember standing in your kitchen and telling you that I wanted to start a podcast and you were so excited and encouraging. And so it's just awesome to have come full circle and to have you on. Yes, I remember that day in my kitchen, actually. We were talking about names and it's so exciting to see where you've come. I I like to think I've been your biggest cheerleader the whole time, but I know you've had lots of good cheerleaders along the way. <laughs> well, you've certainly been one of the earliest and one of the best cheerleaders. So thank you for your part and making all of this happen. And we've talked about doing this interview for over a year, but the topic is so big and so important to both of us that we haven't quite known how to get it just right. We're also both perfectionists. And finally, we're like, we, we just got to do it. We're going to make it happen and talk about this principle, this way of thinking that's so important to us. So can you just start out by telling us what is intuitive eating? Just like you said, intuitive eating is big. It's a big way of thinking. It's a big paradigm shift for a lot of people. Um, but basically, intuitive eating can be defined as nurturing the body's innate hunger and fullness signals to create a healthier relationship with food. So it's really going back to the basics of listening to our body and letting that determine our food choices. Rather than a diet or a list of rules or the things that we so often rely on in our culture now. Yes, this is not a diet. It's completely opposite of a diet, as um, people will see as they dive into intuitive eating. Um, intuitive eating is actually a book written by two registered dietitians. And so I would recommend if this resonates with anyone to get that book first thing and start digging in because it's, it's a process that you're going to want to really use your mental energy for and kind of follow along with all of the tips in the book. There's 10 different steps, but we're only going to cover some of the key points. We are going to talk about three of the principles or key points. And then um, I will also link to an overview of all 10. But I can't agree strongly enough. If this resonates with you or piques your interest, go get the book. That was my first step in my journey was a friend introduced me to this concept. And then she ordered me the book. And 
I just started reading it and letting it simmer. And it was, I mean, truly has changed my life because of these principles. So let's start with the first takeaway that you have for us or principle about intuitive eating. So my first takeaway is take the morality out of eating. So in our society, food is now all about if it's good or bad, right? It's kind of been turned into a moralistic weapon. In the past, eating was for survival, for pleasure, but now it's all about is this making me a good person? Is this making me a bad person? Is this good for me? Is this bad for me? And so it's really time to start taking those labels away. And when you say that, does this make me a good person? I feel like initially my reaction is, no, nobody actually thinks that about food, that it makes them a good person or a bad person. But uh, think about the words we use to describe food. And then <laughs> and then right. maybe there is more morality to it than we may think. Like, so what are some of the words we use that definitely have moral implications? Yeah, well, think about, you know, commercials on TV or even like on a menu, how it's describing the food decadent, sinful, tempting. We have cheat days. We have cheat meals. All of these things kind of have a negative connotation to it, right? Right. And like morality, like sinful, like you're cheating when you do this. Right, exactly. But the truth is your food choices do not reflect your character. You know, what you eat does not make you a good or bad person. Yes, there are some foods that are more nutritious for you, and they might make your body feel better if you eat those versus foods that are less nutritious. But in the end, eating those less nutritious foods in no way makes you a bad person. Yes, I love that point. So how do we start taking the morality out of eating? What's a practical takeaway for us if we want to start living this way? We really have to stop using those labels as good and bad foods. And it's hard. It's going to take practice. It's going to take time. But once we start taking those labels away and just view food as food, all foods the same, you're really going to be able to stop depriving yourself of what you really want. And in the end, this actually decreases the guilt you feel and the overeating that you tend to do, which we'll talk about kind of in the next takeaway. And I do think that when you stop using those labels, well, as Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife says, you can't fix what you can't see. And so even just someone listening to our conversation today, hopefully all of a sudden they'll start noticing when they use those terms and labels for food and be like, oh, I didn't realize that I did that. But instead of calling it a cheat day, I'm going to say what? Like, what could you say that would reverse this so that it's a healthier mindset behind food? Today, I'm going to eat what makes me feel full and satisfied. And I think we get <laughs> We, we forget about that satisfaction factor a lot, you know, and it's important yes. to, to include that into how we eat. Yeah, that, that it's okay to eat food that's pleasurable, not just satisfied physically, but we can also eat some of those things that make us feel satisfied, like emotionally. And Definitely. that's not that's not cheating. Just recently, one of my favorite friends to follow, she's a podcaster, Monica Packer 
posted on her feed. How did she put, how did she put it? Cause it was so funny. She's like saying that food is only for fuel and not for pleasure is like saying that baby making is only for making babies. I thought it was hilarious. It's so true that these things, it's okay for them to have a purpose to fulfill and also be pleasurable. Um, and it's, that doesn't make it a cheat or sinful thing to do. No. It doesn't make you good or bad. Recognizing when we're using those terms and rephrasing them is a really good way to start to question our frame of mind around food. Um, And then what's your second takeaway? The second takeaway is give yourself unconditional permission to eat. And this sounds scary to a lot of people, but this really is the next step. Once you have kind of recognized, you know, what foods are maybe triggering these negative thoughts in you, it's time to start letting yourself eat them. Like I said, of course, there are some foods that are more nutritious than others, but all of all of these foods have a place in our diet. Um, and as we give ourselves unconditional permission to eat, we stop the guilt and the deprivation cycle. So there's something called the seesaw syndrome. If you can picture a seesaw with guilt on one side and deprivation on the other. And you can see like as your guilt is really low, that probably means you've been depriving yourself quite a bit. So that deprivation side is really high. But as you start to let yourself eat that cookie, your deprivation goes down, you maybe eat another cookie and your guilt's going up, right? So it's just back and forth, this constant and exhausting cycle of back and forth between guilt and deprivation. Mm -hmm. And so what we want to do is force one of those off. Because once someone gets off the seesaw, the other one can't play. It's a two-way street, right? So if we can really allow ourselves to eat these foods that we've been depriving ourselves of, suddenly they lose their specialness. And a lot of people, that's what they're afraid of. So I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want, however much I want. Like, how am I ever going to stop? And that's a valid concern people have. But the truth is, when foods are no longer forbidden, they really do lose that special, you know, place in our hearts. And so it makes it a lot easier to feel satisfied by less of that food than when you think you're never going to get to have it again. Mm. <laughs> yes, I think that's so true. And I just feel like in in my experience learning how to eat more intuitively, the fear of never being able to have a food again made me want to eat it all the more and binge on it. And they, and they call this last supper eating in intuitive eating where it's like, tomorrow I'm going to start my diet. So today I have to eat everything that I'm never going to be allowed to eat again. And so even though I don't really want that food, I am just going to pack it in because tomorrow never again. And the problem with that is that a lot of times for me that tomorrow never really came then the next day i would be supposed to be starting my diet but i'd be like oh i'm too scared to cut those things out of my life completely so to the, tomorrow tomorrow yeah. i'll start and so then i'm last supper eating again and then it goes on and on and so i'm really overeating all of these foods versus just saying I'm never going to cut that food out of my life completely. So I don't need to be scared about that. Do I actually want to eat the food? Actually, mm-hmm. today, I don't really want to eat that. And so 
I'm not going to because if I want to tomorrow, I can. If I want to next week, I can. And so it really like calmed this binge reflex that I had to pack in the foods that were going to be forbidden in the future. Right. And sometimes the binge doesn't even start with, quote, unhealthy foods, you know. So like an example that's in the book Intuitive Eating, Jill wanted a cookie, but she wasn't going to have that cookie. She had told herself she was not having cookies anymore. So instead, she goes to sugar-free jam on some fat-free saltines. So that's going to hit the spot, right? Well, surprise, it doesn't. (laughs) So cinnamon rice cakes. Oh, that's still not quite a cookie. So fat-free healthy cookies. Well, that's still not hitting the spot. Next is dried fruit. That's not hitting the spot. And finally, she eats three cookies because (laughs) nothing was fulfilling that real need that she had. And if she just had eaten one cookie at the beginning, because it's fine, it's a cookie, she would have actually eaten a lot less. So it's it's hard to understand that when you're in the mindset of, you know, these foods are bad and you've told yourself this for so many years. But the end goal is to just view food as food and that you can have it whenever you want and it's fine. Yes. And I do feel like one thing in my counseling that surprised me was there was there was foods that I clearly would have put on the bad list, like French fries and brownies and different things like that. But I also somehow in my mind classified other foods as on the bad list. And it wasn't until I actually made a list of foods that I liked and kind of looked at it critically and realized that I'd given a lot of labels to things and wasn't allowing myself to eat them because I decided that they were bad at some point. Things like yogurt, because I've heard that yogurt, like flavored yogurt has a lot of sugar in it. And so I wasn't like letting myself have yogurt with fruit, like an ego waffle with peanut butter on it because ego waffles aren't like real food. And so that was on the bad list. And I would put all these different foods on my mental bad list. This wasn't, this wasn't conscious, but then it made it so that I was so freaked out around food that I didn't even know what my body wanted or what I could eat. And so then I would either not eat anything at all, or I would just like totally binge on cookies instead of eating breakfast because I couldn't eat the yogurt and I couldn't eat the ego and cereal's bad too. Cause that has sugar in it. So what the heck, I'm just going to eat five cookies. Like it, it makes, doesn't really make sense, but that's where my mind was at that time. Exactly. And that's where so many people's minds are. And that is why I'm here. It's my goal is to change the way we're thinking about food so that we can have more peace in our life. Yeah. Um, so just like you were saying, I would recommend that people make a big list of foods that um, any food that they've ever enjoyed, whether they feel like that's a good food or a bad food, um, any food that they like, any food that they think they would want to try because maybe they haven't let themselves just try it and then go through and kind of notice um, how you're labeling those foods as good foods or bad foods. And then the hard part, start experimenting with those foods, right? You're going to need to bring those foods into your home. You're going to need to buy that cereal at the store. You're going to need to order that appetizer at the restaurant and allow yourself to eat those foods and start to change your habits and your mindset about these foods. Yeah. And and I also feel like to be curious about them, to to taste them and try them. And 
ask yourself if you even really like them. Exactly. But you haven't allowed yourself to do that because they've been on some sort of a bad list. And so you may find like as scary as it is to say, I'm going to try all of these foods that I've been forbidding myself of for all these years. You may find that you take a bite and you're like, I don't really like that that much. Like, but it's been this looming forbidden thing in my mind. And so it's just getting really curious about why you're not eating certain foods and also um, figuring out what your palate actually likes without all of the rules around it. Exactly. And I feel like that really segues well into our third takeaway, um, which is stop listening to shoulds and start listening to your body. And just like you were saying, once you start eating these foods instead of, you know, I shouldn't eat this, this is one of the foods I should be eating or shouldn't, listen to your body. How do you feel when you're eating those things? Do you actually like them? Do you like the taste? Do you like the texture? Um, So you're kind of going to get pretty like into thinking about these foods. It's not just you eat with no thought. You are going to be really conscious for a while about how you're eating. But for Mm. so many people, a lifetime of dieting and being told what to eat, when to eat, and how to eat has diminished their ability to actually feel hungry, to feel full, to know what they like to eat. And so it's going to take some experimenting. For sure. So what are some of the like shoulds that are common that people may not even realize that they've internalized, but that are really common in our culture? Right. So some of those would be like, you should stop eating after 6 p.m. or after dinner or after a certain time. You had breakfast two hours ago. So even though you feel hungry, you should wait until lunch to eat again. Everyone is drinking smoothies and eating kale, so you should be doing the same. I should clear my plate at every meal. You know, that's a big one, especially depending on how you were raised, what generation you were raised in. And so all these shoulds, you know, people might look at these and think like, they're not really a dieting behavior. They're not really affecting my relationship with food, but they are. You know, they're allowing these just kind of quote rules to run the way that you're eating. Instead, listen to your body. Okay, it's 6 p.m. You ate dinner an hour ago, but you're just, you're feeling hungry. Okay, feed your body. That's okay. You're not going to really harm your body by feeding it and taking Mm. care of it. Yeah. And even I think you're not even necessarily physically feeling hungry, but you're craving a little treat after dinner and you want to sit and eat a little treat with your husband, it's fine. Like you don't. <laughs> so it's tuning into your physical hunger cues as well as that some of your emotional cues and not being so fearful around food and thinking that it's going to control you. I felt like I was in a prison, like food was my prison. I, Mm -hmm. I thought about it so much. And I do think what's interesting is that when you are experimenting with intuitive eating, you are going to be thinking about food a lot because you're going to be figuring out what you actually like to eat. But it's a different kind of thinking about food than the disordered eating patterns before where I was thinking about food all the time and it was controlling the choices that I made. This was more of a healthy way of thinking about food all the time at first where I was just getting curious about 
what is my body actually feeling right now? What do I want? Why do I like this? Why do I want this? You know, um, it wasn't this judgmental, hateful way of thinking about food all the time. Right. And when you think about it, only you, you yourself know your thoughts, your feelings and experiences. So how is someone going to tell you, you can only eat at 2 p.m.? They don't know how you're going to be feeling at 2 p.m., right? They don't know if you have skipped breakfast so you need more food or you had a busy day and you you need to eat later or earlier and so living by these rigid rules just does us no good. Hmm. Yes. I completely agree with that. One thing I feel like we live in a society now where there's almost an obsession with health. So I feel like there could be some pushback when people hear this where they're like, no, but it's like scientifically proven that certain things are bad for you. So I want to emphasize that you're a registered dietitian and nutritionist and you are behind this way of eating. Can you go into that a little bit more? Like, why do you support this from a nutritionist point of view? Honestly, people think that this is just like free reign to eat whatever they want and You know, in a way, it is saying you have permission to eat whatever you want. But most people start to find that they're paying attention to their bodies, right? So they feel better when they are fed mostly good foods, you know, and when they're eating because of hunger instead of emotions and when they stop eating, when they start to feel full. And so in the end, most people are actually making pretty good choices nutrition-wise. And I just have seen like how much this runs people's lives. Food is so powerful and the emotions behind it and the experiences behind it. And when we have the ability to just kind of be free from that and use our time and energy to spend time with our family, to grow a business, to take care of ourselves, It's just so much better for our health overall, our mental health, our spiritual health, our emotional health. And I've just seen it change people's lives. Yeah. And I love that you pointed out you're interested in health and wellness, like complete health and wellness, um, because you're you're so right that when I was in my like, quote, healthiest as far as what I was putting into my body. I was my most unhealthy in every other aspect and not saying that that is necessarily the case for everyone, because I do think that there's people who are extremely healthfully that are healthy in other areas of their life. But that's because they're listening to their own bodies and their own intuition and living the life that is true to them versus following a bunch of shoulds. Wouldn't you say that's the truth? Definitely. Definitely. And you have four little girls. And so I'm sure this is very important to you um, for them and for the society and the culture that they're growing up in. So how do you help your girls to be intuitive eaters and follow these three takeaways that we're talking about? I definitely think about the words I use when I talk about food. Um, I don't really say, talk about like, that has too much sugar in it. I tell them, They might ask for another piece of candy. I say, well, how's your body feeling? Like, do you feel like that will make you feel sick if you eat another piece? No, I don't. Okay, you can have another piece. You know, I really try to help them tune into their own hunger and fullness signals at a young age Mm. because 
they're actually really good at that. Kids are born with innate cues to tell them when to stop eating. Think about a baby eating, um, drinking a bottle or nursing or feeding baby food to them. Like they know when they're done. But we have, you know, pressured our children and pressured ourselves into eating a certain way. And so we lose that ability to really feel hunger and fullness. And that's something I really try to help my girls recognize at this point. I love seeing the way that you parent them and teach them about food. And they're really good eaters, but you don't force them to eat any certain way. You provide them with lots of healthy options as well as some fun options. See, I don't, I'm like, how do I, how do I word it? How do I label it? That's great. Um, In the book, actually, it talks about calling it play food instead of like junk food or bad food or so Mm -hmm. fun play food. I think those are great words. And your, your girls eat tons of vegetables and they also enjoy the occasional treat, but they'll like eat a few bites of it and then they're done. They leave the cookie on the counter. You know, the way that you're raising them around food is making them into little intuitive eaters, which is so awesome. But for the rest of us who weren't raised that way, what are some practical takeaways for how to start listening to your body? So this third takeaway to stop right. listening to shoulds and start listening to your body. How do you do that if you've spent a lifetime not doing that? So it really is about rebuilding our experiences with food. So we need to take time to notice when we are hungry and when we're full. And it might take a while for you to like notice these patterns. It can be kind of difficult. Um, and it's going to be individualized. Maybe you just, it's like a dull headache or some nausea or some grumpiness or discomfort, but you just kind of need to start noticing how you feel when you're starting to get hungry and when you're starting to get full. And when you do start to feel hungry, feed yourself. Don't wait till that two o'clock time slot or don't wait because you just ate an hour ago. Listen to your body and feed your body when it's appropriate. Stop eating Mm. at the first sign of fullness. So that's the best way to kind of recognize your fullness and to not overeat. Um, When you recognize that you're full, use some sort of physical cue to remind yourself you're done. You can push your plate away. You can chew a piece of gum, um, put your utensils over your plate, you know, grab a water and just sip water for a while and just do something physically that kind of checks your mind saying, okay, I'm done eating right now because I feel full. Yes. And I do feel like having um, this curiosity around it. So no shame in it. So if you realize that you overate, like you're, it's over, it's done you yep. and you overate and you feel sick. Instead of going into the shame spiral about it, you just think, hmm, okay, I overate and this is what that feels like. And right. so now next time I'll know to listen a little sooner or whatever. And let's say you stop eating Um, you think you're full and you stop. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, oh, I'm still hungry. Then you just eat more. Like it's just an experiment to get to know your body and your hunger and fullness. And my counselor actually had me keep like a little log at first, Um, which again, it, it almost sounds obsessive. Like she was making me more obsessed with food, but she wasn't. She was teaching me how to tune into my body, which I had never done before. It just kind of got me in the mindset of thinking, being more mindful around my food. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. It just, it does take some mindful work. And, you know, like you said, it seems like you're more obsessed, but pretty soon 
you don't have to think about it anymore. Food will have lost its power over you and you just get to use your time thinking about more important things. Oh, and isn't that the goal? I just feel like at the height of my food issues, that's all my mind was full of was food, self-hate around food, wondering when I was going to start my diet and lose this weight and all these things. And once I found freedom around food, I just had time and space and energy to have joy in my life. And that's been the greatest gift of all that intuitive eating has given me. Yes. And that's just honestly what I want to give every person in the world. You know, when I see these people struggling with food and their comments on Instagram or, you know, I just want to message them this book and just be like, read this. (laughs) It will change your life. Yeah. And I want to mention this, like you're not actively working as a nutritionist, um, which I love because I feel like so often I have guests on here who the everyday mom feels like, well, I don't have this big cause or this big platform. And so, you know, what I'm contributing may not be as worthwhile as these people that do, which is not the case at all. You right now are not in a stage of life where you can do this on any big platform or anything but you're such an advocate of it in your daily life, even just with your friends and family and teaching them about it. And that is just as important. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talked about like, I don't have a big Instagram for people to come follow me, you know, and do this, but that's just not where I'm at in my life right now. But I am happy to talk about this with anyone I can and to share this information because it really is life-changing and will bring so much peace to people's lives. Yeah. And I know you've been such a huge resource for me. After I moved away from my counselor in Denver and moved to Twin Falls, I was nervous to not have any support or any friends who knew about this work. And then I met you and it was just meant to be. And you've been such a support and help to me. I've had some health challenges in the years since that have messed with my mind when it comes to all of this food stuff. You were the first person that I told when I got that diagnosis and you've just been such a great support to me. And so thank you for this work that you're doing just in your daily life with your friends and family. Well, you're welcome. I I feel like just like, you know, it's a process. And so there's no right or wrong way to do it. I'm just here to help people through the process. Yes. So can you tell us your three takeaways and particularly what action step um, a listener might take this week if they want to start trying out intuitive eating? Yes. So my first takeaway is take the morality out of eating. So to stop using labels such as good or bad or cheat days, cheat meals. And um, once you do this, and you can stop depriving yourself of what you really want, you're really going to decrease the guilt and overeating that is associated with those ways of thinking. Um, Our second takeaway is give yourself unconditional permission to eat. So um, make a big list of foods that you maybe would like to eat in the future or you like to eat now and see how you label them as good or bad. And then start experimenting with these foods. Bring them into your home or order them at a restaurant. And the third takeaway is stop listening to shoulds and start listening to your body. So take time to notice how you feel when you're hungry, not to the point of starving, and when you're full, not to the point of stuffed. And, you know, start to feed yourself when you feel hunger and stop eating at those first signs of fullness. Maybe even use a physical cue like 
chewing a piece of gum or pushing your plate away to remind you that you're feeling full. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And we can all use these three takeaways in our own lives as well as in the way that we talk and teach our children. And Taryn, I'm so glad we finally did this episode. Thanks for coming on 3 and 30. Thanks so much for having me, Rach. I have been immeasurably blessed by the friends that have come into my life at times when I really needed them. And Taryn is one of those people for me. I'm so grateful that she was able to come on and talk about this topic that's so important to both of us. On Thursday, I'm going to be airing a bonus episode where I tell you a little bit more about my journey and about the friend who introduced me to intuitive eating and how that all happened and how I really believe that it was an answer to prayers. In the meantime, if you want to dive more into this topic and hear more about what I've written and said about it in the past, I wanted to point you to a couple of podcasts you can listen to. The first is episode 12 on my show, which is called How to Stop Being Mean to Yourself. And in that episode, I read a narrative that I wrote when I was in therapy, where I embodied my eating disorder as a character outside of myself, and I gave voice to the thoughts that she was putting in my mind and Um, It's it was a really powerful exercise for me. Another place you can go to listen is I have done two episodes on Power of Moms Radio about this journey. The first is called Unhealthy Stress or Habits Break the Cycle. And the second is called Listening to and Loving Your Body Through Intuitive Eating. And I will put links in the show notes for all three of those episodes. And if you don't know how to find show notes, all you have to do is just go to my website and all of the episodes are there. You can click there. The show notes are in the post or show notes are at the bottom of your app where you're listening to a podcast. If you just scroll down, you generally can see the show notes and the links. I am so grateful to you for being here. I'm excited to share even more of my heart and my story on Thursday. In the meantime, please be kind to yourself. Please remember that your body is not the enemy and listen to it with love this week. I'm Stacey Toth. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne. And we'd like to invite you to come listen to our podcast, The Whole View. Each week, we follow the science for an in-depth answer to a listener-requested topic related to health and wellness. But we're not your typical health show. We're talking emotional and physical, looking at dozens of scientific studies to support our answers. You might be surprised what the science can tell us. When we share practical tips and embarrassing personal stories, we make sure no one is left thinking perfection is the goal. In fact, this one time, Bandcamp... Uh, Not now, Stacey. Oh, right. Sorry. I was about to get on a soapbox again. The whole view is exactly that. A comprehensive and holistic look at important topics that likely resonate with you. We also take a body positive approach. And instead of engaging in diet culture, we focus on what the actual medical research says are the healthiest choices in terms of diet, lifestyle, and non-toxic living. And we're not afraid to bust myths that are trending in health conscious communities. Join us to laugh and learn and just feel like you're hanging out with your two nerdiest besties. Check out the Whole View podcast wherever you listen. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode.